Long History How Manila Became Spanish Part 4 The Deceitful Plan of the King of Manila Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Long History. Here's the place where we cut source documents from history down into 10 minute chunks or so. And at the moment we're covering a document called How Manila Became Spanish and over five episodes it tells us how the Spanish in 1570 made their way from a temporary base on Panay towards Luzon Island and Manila, eventually taking it over for the Spanish and in this way creating the new capital for the Spanish colony on the Philippines. Now before we get started, don't forget that there are two sort of prequels to this document. We've got one called The Journey to Colonize the Philippines and another one called The Philippines' First Spanish Colony. The previous document ended in 1567 and this document takes up the story in 1570. This is the fourth of the five part series but there's another document to come that continues from this one so there'll be another five parts there. Right now as the previous episode ended a Spanish expedition was on its way to Manila. They had entered the vast Manila Bay and sent a Moro to talk to the king who had, apparently, stretched out the hand of friendship. The Spanish therefore declared that they would go to Manila itself to meet this king, Raja Suleiman. The Moro, however, insisted on going ahead to alert the king of the Spanish arrival. The Spanish are following this Moro to Manila as this episode begins. So here we go with how Manila became Spanish. Part 4. The Deceitful Plan of the King of Manila We sailed along a thickly settled coast. Moros came out in prows from some of the towns to complain of the Raja Soliman for having plundered their towns and killed many of the inhabitants. The master of camp was going ahead under full sail and, receiving all of these people very kindly, we kept on until about 10 o'clock in the morning when we passed the bar of the river of Manila. The town was situated on the bank of the river and seemed to be defended by a palisade all along its front. Within it were many warriors and the shore outside was crowded with people. Pieces of artillery stood at the gates, guarded by bombardiers, linstock in hand. A culverin shot from us and close to the houses of the natives were four Chinese ships. Immediately, the Chinese came in their skiffs to visit the master of camp. They brought him brandy, hens, winnowed rice, a few pieces of silk and knick-knacks of little value. They complained to the master of camp of the Moros of Manila, saying that the latter had taken away by force the helms of their ships and the best of their goods, without paying for them. The master of camp received them kindly. But, desiring to be at peace with all, he waived that question. Then, having dismissed the Chinese, he sent the interpreter ashore to tell King Solomon that he wished to confer with him and to make arrangements therefore. The interpreters returned quickly and said, that they would meet at the edge of the water and that Raja Soleiman would come thither. The master of camp immediately landed with the Spaniards to meet him. Immediately, an uncle of the ruler, who also bore the title of king, advanced with so large a following that he was thought to be Soleiman himself. 
he embraced the master of camp and appeared to be a man of good intentions. Soon after came the other ruler, his nephew Solomon, who was a younger man than he who first came. Solomon assumed an air of importance and haughtiness and said that he was pleased to be the friend of the Spaniards, but the latter should understand that the Moros were not painted Indians. He said that they would not tolerate any abuse as had the others. On the contrary, they would repay with death the least thing that touched their honour. This speech having been made through the interpreter, the master of camp gratified the chief with kind words. Then, after they had embraced each other and made a friendly compact, the morrow entered his fort. The master of camp returned to his ship, leaving all the oared boats and most of his men on shore, less than thirty paces from the town, and gave general orders that no man should enter the town until the morrows, who seemed quite irritated, had regained their calm. Then, leaving ashore the sergeant major, Juan de Moron, in command, he returned to his ship to have it moored and set in order. In the afternoon of the same day, at three o'clock, the Moro Mahomete asked permission to spend the night among his relatives, and the master of camp granted his request. During the day, the Moros came to look at the soldiers ashore with their arquebuses and lighted match ropes. The Moros carried their weapons and showed a rather bold attitude. They even did things which the Spaniards not often tolerate. But in order to obey the orders of the master of camp, and not to give the appearance of starting hostilities on our side, they overlooked all the unmeasured boldness displayed by the Moros. At nightfall, the men ashore withdrew to the ships where they slept. The next morning, the Moro Mahomete returned with the same ambassador who had first come. The latter bore a message from Raja Soleiman, to the effect that he had been informed that a tribute was to be asked of him, and that consequently he would not allow the Spaniards to enter the river. The master of camp, as one desirous of peace and in view of the orders of the governor to make peace with the said town of Manila, in his answer requested the messenger to tell his lord not to believe such reports, for hitherto he had not asked for any tribute from him. He added that they would see each other again and make a friendly settlement, which would be to his taste. Thus he dismissed the messenger, and he himself, after a little thought, went ashore with only the Spanish and Moro interpreters, without notifying anyone of what he was going to do. He entered the palisade, whose gates were guarded by many Moros, and was led by the Moros straight away to a small house, where he was bidden to await King Solomon. As soon as the latter heard that the master of camp was within the fort, he hastened to him, and both went to a house where they made a friendly compact after the fashion of the land, namely in this wise. The master of camp drew blood with the two chiefs, uncle and nephew, both called Raja, which in the Malay language signifies king. The Moros drank the blood of the master of camp mixed with wine, and the master of camp drank that of the Moros in a similar way, 
Thus, the friendship was established, on the terms that the Moros of Manila were to support the Spaniards who came to settle there. And doing this, they should pay no other tribute. The master of camp asked them for a list of neighbouring towns on the bay, and they gave him the names of 40 towns of those situated on the shore besides those inland. After this friendly agreement had been made with the Moros, who promised to give some food for our men, the master of camp left the fort, much to our pleasure. The Moros, notwithstanding the great security given them by the master of camp, persisted in their hostile and warlike attitude, and, even on account of the peace made, would not lay aside their weapons. On the contrary, the number of armed men seemed to be increasing continually. In the afternoon of the same day, the chief notary went to the fort, with the permission of the master of camp, to see whether any of the kings wished to trade for the royal testoons which he had in his charge. He went there accompanied by a boy only, and spoke of the matter to one of the chiefs. The latter received him very kindly, and showed him some gold trinkets, which he wished to exchange for gold. For each gold piece the morrow asked five of silver, but the notary would give him only three. The morrow Mahomete, who was present at this trading, and acted as go-between, told the chief notary to postpone the bargain until another day, and to return to the ship and tell the master of camp that King Solomon said that, in order to celebrate the peace made that day, he was about to pass in review his people both on sea and on land, and should fire all his artillery, at which no offence should be taken, for all was in celebration of the peace. The chief notary left the port with the message, and found the master of camp receiving information in the above-mentioned vessel of friendly Indian rowers. They were saying that, having relatives among the Moros, they had learned that the latter were planning to fall upon the Spaniards at the first rain when it would be impossible for them to make use of the arquebuses. From this news, and from the preparations which the Moros were making on both sea and land for the great review they said they were about to give, we saw that they were anxious to start the affray. At this time, the Moro Mahomete arrived with a message from Raja Soliman, to the effect that King Solomon had learned that the Lord of Candola, a town on the other side of the river, intended to fight the Spaniards on sea, and had invited him to join in the attack, but that he, Soliman, had refused to do so. For this reason he would get in readiness, and if the chief really came to offer battle, he would aid the Spaniards with his people, since the master of camp was his friend. This new message gave a full understanding of the deceitful plan of the Moros. Notwithstanding all this, the master of camp sent his thanks to Solomon for the warning, saying that he would be pleased to fight anyone who desired to fight with him. He added that if it were not so late, he would immediately go to the town of Candola to fight with that chief. So this is an episode full of trust and of betrayal of that trust. There's a sense that the Spanish are not quite sure who to believe, but they also are the ones who feel that they have the power. Everyone here seems to be insisting that they want peace, 
but the so-called Moros on shore are staging this military review, and the Spaniards' insistence that they want peace, in the light of this tension, seems just as much a threat of war as it is a plea for peace. In the next episode, the battle for the town of Manila begins. Thank you for listening everyone to the latest episode of Long History. If you can't wait for the next episode, don't forget there's lots to explore on Long History about the Age of Exploration, with documents from Columbus, Magellan, Francis Drake, and many more. Before you move on, if you could give this episode a like in whatever way you can, it would really be appreciated. But above all, thank you for listening. This was Long Histories, How Manila Became Spanish, Part 4. The Deceitful Plan of the King of Manila. Goodbye.